less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. All right, welcome back to the Cash Flow Contractor, Monty. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. Thanks, thanks for being here. Um, I know you and Martin go way back. Yeah. Um, so we're, we've been I met looking Buddy Markham in the lawyer's office. Fifty <laughs> pin place. I don't even remember why we were up there, but Monty said something that I'll never forget. And you've heard it before, but this is where I first heard. He said, "If you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room." <laughs> I don't know if you even remember saying that, but I remember it. We were there with Roger, and well, I don't even know why the hell we were, we were up there doing. We were up there closing the spring rain deal, Mark. Oh, is that what? Yeah, it was? that's what we were doing okay. up there. Yeah, okay. we were getting that thing put together, and that's where we first yeah. came across each other. Really, which nobody listening knows what we're talking. No, about. but anyway, <laughs> but that's Martin, been a long time. It was in the nineties. Yeah, well, Martin's the smartest guy I know. It's <laughs> true. Yeah, he's it's a true. PayPal account. And I just ding him. When you hear a little ding, that's another dollar in the, in the It's true. That's great. But so we wanted to point out. Well, well, we rescheduled this morning because you were at the Oklahoma Race Course Commission. Horse Racing Commission. Well, what is that? Well, the Horse Racing Commission. What we do is we basically oversee the fairness of the sport. We are, you know, one of our things is to advocate uh, for the for the horse racing industry within the state. The horse racing industry is uh, about a two billion dollar a year com- contributor into Still? our into our state economy. Wow, I didn't yes, no idea. Oh yes, yes, really. And so we, it's one of those things that obviously has a lot of of economic uh, influence from from corner to corner in all walks of life. And and so you know we we advocate for that. We we uh, uh, basically our role as commissioners is to make sure that we've got a fair sport. That people are following the rules and that they're not, you know, that they're not cheating and and uh, all that. Also, in, in uh, you know, making sure that the monies are are amongst the horsemen and and the uh, tracks and all that sort of thing are divided up equally and hmm. and, every, and just just trying to commission be on a commission to regulate a, a, a fair sport cool. is what it is. And uh, so we cover uh, Appaloosas and paints, uh, quarter horses. Thoroughbred horses, all of the racing at Will Rogers Downs in Claremore and at Fair Meadows in Tulsa, which is up at the State Fair, and of course uh, Remington Park here in Oklahoma City, City. and uh, all those things that are involved with that. And then also as a part of that too, we we also have some say over the gaming and some of the different things that go on within the yes within within the casinos, uh, on the tracks, uh, you know off. Off betting, which today we just had a situation come up, and we, we're going to have to get a ruling from the attorney general, you know, because wow. uh, we we don't really uh, have clear a clear path in regards to how they split up money from telecasts and everything that go out of the state and all that kind of thing. So it's it's one of those things that that that's going to be one of those things that the attorney general will will rule on later, and of course uh, we'll move forward after that point in time, but. Uh, it's a serious thing, and, and the, but the main thing of it is, is is what got me involved was I'm not a horseman. Uh, I was brought on there to uh, to have some type of a business insight into the thing that's basically set up on the budget committees and, and all that kind of thing and how we fund the Horse Racing Commission mm-hmm. and some of that thing uh, as is what was what my uh, the, why they wanted me there. Uh, they don't want all horsemen there necessarily, and I can see where uh, it would be 
detrimental to some extent to have yeah. too many people that are that close to the industry. Sometimes they need they need some people with, you know, a, outside a perspective eye out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is, is all. I mean, maybe you're something nominal, but it's it, this is essentially volunteer work. Basically, yeah. I mean, I get paid for my mileage up there and everything. And uh, four hundred dollars a mile. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not something you're going to be able to retire on or anything. But that's you know that's just that's not why you did it. And, yeah. Uh, but mainly, I, I mean, it, I love the state of Oklahoma. Mm. Uh, I believe in the I believe in it. Uh, our customers are some of the best people on earth, and they're from Oklahoma. Uh, I'm a lifelong Oklahoman, and I'll always be an Oklahoman. And uh, for what it does to our state economically, and and for all that it brings, it's it's something that that's uh, very important and needs to be. You know, we need to be good stewards of it and make sure Absolutely. that that uh, that it continues to thrive. You know, what a lot of people don't even think about, and I don't I don't know the numbers off the top of my head right now, but the amount of money that's gone into education. Uh, through the uh, horse racing industry over the years uh, is something that, that's staggering. I, really? I, mean, I, I don't want to say the number. I think I know it, but I don't want to say it. But it, it's a staggering number uh, that has gone into uh, the education of our children here in the state of Oklahoma. That's really cool. Well, you said something going on early that they brought you in for your business insight. And that's the same reason we have you. <laughs> and uh, I'll let Cleo go here in a minute. But this morning we recorded a podcast that listeners have opportunity here probably three weeks before this but we talk about the evolution of a business owner from oh, like somebody starting out as an employee working somewhere and they go through self-employed then they go to what we call manager then owner then investor and one reason i'm really happy to have you here is because i know personally that you've been through all those steps and, uh, <laughs> so you know a little bit a little bit about it so. Yeah. Are, were you always were you raised here in Norman? No, I was raised just south of the river down there in a little old town called Washington. Okay. Um, you yeah. Never tried it down by the river. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it was, uh, you know, less than 500 people. And we lived out in the country, you know. Yeah. Uh, the country's came to us now. Uh, but, yeah. uh, or the city has came to us now. Yeah, is absolutely. what I meant to say. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just uh, uh, raised on a farm. Uh, dairy farm, nice. uh, you know, punching cattle and growing wheat and cotton and peanuts. So you were a dairy farm? Yeah. Uh, I tell you, I ran grain elevators for oh, yeah. 17 years. And I love farmers, don't get yeah. me wrong, but, you know, talk about hard scrabble farming life. Don't want to offend anybody, but some, I mean, there's always something to do. Oh, my. But it, but there are, there are people who work longer hours, but there's nobody works harder than a dairy farmer. You break your leg and you have the flu and you still gotta get your butt up at 4.30 in the morning and go milk. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, anyway, oh, that's a job I would never, yeah. I would never aspire to. No, it, it was uh, whenever I was 14, my grandfather, he, he was the, and my dad, of course, was involved in it too, but uh, he sold the dairy and, uh, and it uh, was a, up until then, it's it's just not that too. I mean, you've got baby calves that have to have, be fed twice a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and uh, that means that you get up and and uh, before school and, and at five o'clock in the morning you're up and you're doing your chores and stuff. And so, Man. Uh, just a quick story. But my ag teacher thought I was going to be this great state farmer and all this sort of thing. And and he and I didn't necessarily get along very good and everything. And so, <laughs> so one day he uh, he said he was uh, at telling me how 
you know, hey, you need to blah, blah, blah. And I said, hey, listen, man. I, I said, I do more ag in the morning between 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock than you do all day. <laughs> and so, my, you know, he called my dad, and my dad said, well, you know, he's probably right yeah. about that. <laughs> so that was, the end of my, that was the end of my ag experience in school as far as being a student is concerned. That's great. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, that's just the way it was, and, and, and uh, you, have to be, you have to be there. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, but it's a, you know, I, I, think, I think back to those days a lot, mainly my hay hauling days. Mm. Uh, and I think about how Back you, before big round bales. Yeah, you got to push. Them up. You got to push. You know, it's 125 degrees inside that barn, and you're going up above your head with a 70 pound, a 70 pound bale of hay, and you got to get it stacked in the right spot so it stays there. And you got to push through that. Yeah. You don't. You don't. Uh, you got to push through that. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Instead of sitting in the truck by the water can, somebody's got to get out there and unload the load, you know? Yeah. And so I think that that has a whole lot to do with just uh, creating a, a, a non-given uh, non up type of a thing, you know, because you've got to finish it. And, Work ethic. Uh, I've always said the prettiest side on earth was a clean hay field. So, <laughs> and I still think that pretty much. So uh, yeah. even though it's been a long time since I've touched one of them. But it does instill a work ethic in you that um, makes you appreciate, especially later on, uh, what you, you know, you feel like you've, you've paid your dues. Yeah. And, and you feel like that you've earned uh, wherever you are and you don't, you don't backtrack from it. Yeah, there's so much you can learn from that uh, time as not just a kid working for the family business, but also just as an employee. I'm curious, what happened for you after you were 14 in that ag class and leaving that that teacher, what, where'd you go from there? Back out to the farm and did a lot more ag. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, seriously though, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what we did. I mean, it was, uh, uh, just, just standard working through there. Of course we, we had beef cattle and we raised crops and all that kind of thing too. And, yeah. and so, you know, we just, uh, that's what we did. Yeah. And, uh, and then, um, about the time I was a senior in high school, we started taking a little different turn. My dad, my mom and dad did. And, uh, and uh, you know, we were still around the house, so we were still working there. And it was before I'd really gotten away and got off to college and gotten a little bit of the gap between me and my parents. For a Where'd while. you go to college? Uh, went to school that started out up at Rose and uh, ended up over here at OU. OU. And, uh, so Did I'm a degree? Not, yeah, I'm a, I'm a business administration guy from OU. Okay, uh, great. But, uh, you know, that's um, what I studied while I was over there. And unfortunately, I had my fourth child before I could go get my diploma. I think I'm oh, about wow. 10 hours short. And I've, I've always thought, you know what? I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that. But I'm 63 years old. I'm not going to go do that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so, so you, uh, whenever you go off to college, is the farm still going? You said your parents went in a different direction. What did you mean by that? Well, we, we, uh, we started growing uh, row crops of tomatoes. Um, and uh, and then you know from that point, uh, and also we were involved in in, in growing uh, worms. Believe it or not, oh, that, really? that that was back before worms were cool. Right? <laughs> you mean uh, fishing worms? Yeah, well, I fishing guess. worms, worms that for, for mainly mainly to produce for castings. We were after Cast- the castings. 
Oh, you mean like for fertile? I mean, right, right. Okay. And so that's what we were, you know, trying to. <laughs> There's our title for this episode: Wormcast. And so we uh, <laughs> we uh, were doing that, and then uh, got into the tomato growing business, and that's where I really got my start. Was out uh, peddling, loading them up, and you know they call them lugs. And you take a lug of tomatoes into a produce department, and they're like Mr. Wright. I remember Mr. Wright here from for Wright's IGA. Oh yeah, wonderful people, and you know, and I got to meet a lot of those people. Tom mm. Woodward, which was another guy that worked for Skaggs back at the time, okay, was a produce manager, and and ultimately ended up becoming a very important customer to us. Mm. Not because they were buying tomatoes, but because they were buying the next thing that we started growing, which was hanging baskets. And, uh, and so, so like we, flowers, yeah. Okay, you know, we, we haven't even told the listeners what money. That's okay. We're gonna get to that. We'll get to that. We want the listeners to know that we haven't told you yet. Well, yeah. well. Anyway, so we we started. Uh, they turned into good customers, and and uh, we we started selling them hanging baskets. And during that period of time, what got all that started was I don't know if you guys know remembered or not, but the the TGNYs. They, they used to be the, yeah. the, the precursor Walmarts, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, they came to us and asked us to start growing some of those hanging baskets for them, and we did. And then the next thing you know, we're selling them to our produce customers. And, yep. and then we um, uh, started uh, working with Safeway, and we were packaging and sending hanging baskets all over the western United States oh, through wow. the Safeway chain. And so that's what really kind of got us that cash flow that yeah. that you start to look at and you go, hmm, you know, we, we might be able to make some money doing this. Did you have, were you going to greenhouses? In greenhouses, okay, so right. All year long. Well, well yeah. Those things in the spring. And, and, and that comes after after a crop failure of tomatoes because we, we actually started building greenhouses for uh, a hydroponic uh tomato growing operation and the first okay. year turned out great and then the second year we had a crop failure mm. and then that's about the time that TGNY came in and we started going okay well sure you know let's try something different gotcha. and so uh, and whose then, idea was the, the hanging baskets was it your parents you well no it was uh, uh, idea was it well yeah. actually it was TGNY's idea oh they're the ones you know, that said, said hey, hey you know cool. can you do this and you're like sure yeah Exactly. Wow. Uh, and what was were, in them? What kind of flowers? Well, there's wandering Jew, there's mouse ear Jew, there's Bolivian Jew, there's <laughs> there's Swedish ivy, there's uh, all those kinds of different wow. things and hanging baskets that we first got started off with. A, a dear woman who I loved, who I always loved, Gaynell Madden, was there uh, with us at that time, and she she stepped in there and helped do all that. And wow. Uh, and she was uh, right there with us from the very beginning, and so we started doing that, and then, and then one thing led to the to the next. So, what was the next thing you guys started growing out of after these uh, hanging baskets? Well, we we got we had the land down there, the farm, yeah. And so we thought, well, okay, well, let's plant some trees out here, and mm. uh, so we started what they call lining out trees. That was before I would know what you'd say that using to use that <laughs> use term. That word. Yeah. Yeah. But we were lining out trees and, and uh, growing, and really just the plain old Janes at the time. I mean, back then there wasn't a lot of cultivars and fancy names, and you know there were, but not not like there is today. Mm. Uh, and uh, so we started growing uh, trees, and and then Dad made the move in '82. Uh, 
we actually started somewhere around 75, you know, somewhere in there, and then made the move. 1975. Yeah, yeah. Made the move up to uh, uh, Goldsby there in 82, and we opened up a garden center. Okay. Uh, and uh, and from there, it's just been uh, one year after the next. Uh, but yeah. uh, starting in 82, yeah, is whenever we, we actually kind of uh, became Markham's Nursery as the world knows it today. Okay. And um, about what age are you at this time? In the I guess you're 63 now, so you're in your, gosh. Well, I'm 63. Don't make me do the math. 63. For all you folks out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, well, I, I, I did get to do some kid stuff. You know, whenever sure. we were off and uh, I, I got to go and do college and yeah. everything, but I still worked at the farm. Yeah. Um, I, I still worked there uh, and we did all that. And then, uh, you know, I got married in, in uh, 78 and Carol would come down and we'd box these things up, you know, till all hours of the night, getting them out of there. Yeah. Um, and then after that, and we had the oil field bust of, of 80, and, mm. or not 80, but actually 82, uh, and everybody went broke, including me. Mm. Uh, and How about and your father I, with the business, same thing? No, he, he was able to maintain. Mm. I'd gotten off into it, and where I've learned so many of my life lessons were the, whenever I got away from what I did well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that was whenever uh, the oil field lured people out there into it, and uh, and it was it was uh, talking about investing in wells or something. well, actually we were we were uh, building equipment. Oh, okay. And uh, it looked like that the it was the work, the road was paved with gold. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like there's no way that this could possibly go a different direction. Uh, but uh, the oil field's been infamous for going in a different direction from time to time, and I was one of those. I was one of those uh, casualties that, that fell in there. But but once again, you know, you go back and you look at that, and you think about the days when you were hauling hay, you know, and mm-hmm. and you think about the days whenever uh, you realize that you have uh, put yourself in a position where you're not in control anymore. Yeah. And you realize that there's no free lunch and there's no white knights that are going to come along and save you. Mm. And you realize that, that it's one of those things that, hey, put on your big boy pants because nobody really gives a rip whether or not you succeed or not. You know, it's, it's completely and utterly, totally up to you. And, and so there's, there's uh, some of those... Uh, life lessons in there. Uh, learned a lot about legal. Learned a lot about finance. Learned yeah. a lot about a lot of different things in there sure. at a young age. And it's one of those things that for me uh, has you know been a really positive yeah. thing. Let me ask, because some people listening, your business training, meaning at, at the university, did it contribute heavily to, to your success? Oh, I think so, Martin. I really do. Uh, You know, and and I don't know that you can really kind of put a percentage on it or anything, but I can tell you this much. Whenever I sit down in there with a brilliant economist and and he lectures you on on economics and you start to listen to the science, honestly, the science of economics and what it 
really means. You know, it's, 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 it's a lot of graphs, it's a lot of numbers, it's a lot of all that stuff, but it really does mean real things. And whenever you start to, to understand that, that economics is a, is a, a it's, like a, it's like a wave, it, you know, you don't escape it, uh, no matter what you do inside of business. Yeah. And you start to appreciate what uh, economics is, uh, is a, a, I think very important thing that, that uh, was impressed upon me while I was in school more than anything. Yeah. I, I was real fortunate to have, a, I think, a very, he was a GA. His name was Todd. I don't remember his last name. He was a liberal Minnesotan, <laughs> uh, you know, and, I, and we got along like, uh, like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, because, you know, it was just a lot of fun to, yeah. to get involved with him like that. And it, it taught me a lot. Um, I think the point you're trying to make is that you learn a lot more from a degree than you do from, or from, from working than you do well, than a degree. I think, good, oh yeah, really good answer though. It shaped your philosophy. Right. It shapes your thinking. Yeah, yeah. It shapes your, your perspective. You that background, but the actual should I do this or do that? No, didn't come from. No, no, no. Yeah. That's not. That's not a part of that. Should I get into the oil field or? Not? <laughs> well, I mean, that's opportunity. No, the, I mean, I. I think it's always good to to uh, be able to communicate uh, situations where it didn't work out so well. Sure. Uh, and you know, I don't blame myself for it. I don't feel ashamed of it. I mean, in fact, in, in fact, I kind of wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah. Uh, you know that uh, to be able to to survive it. Uh, I mean, it's uh, so. No, I don't have any any problems with that. Um, you know, I I would say this and uh, about that uh, is that, and especially to uh, entrepreneurs, uh, the difference between an entrepreneur and a businessman. I mean, there really is. Uh, oh, absolutely. There, and so, but to entrepreneurs, I mean, I would say, look, you know, you've got to make sure that you're capitalized. If you ever get into a situation where you're undercapitalized. No matter how good your intentions are, uh, and no matter how good of a market you think you may have, if you're undercapitalized, you cannot weather the downturns, and in sometimes you can't weather the startups. I mean, the start. And what I mean by that is, is that whenever you're doing a startup, I, I guarantee you, you've done a performer for somebody. Sure. Hey, what's a performer? Yeah, I think the listeners would love to hear. You know, if they've never had a business education. Formally, what does capitalized mean? You mean by having enough money and enough upside in what where your position is? You've got to have enough capital in there to where you can weather the storm for a given period of time whenever you, you run into things that you don't expect. Yep. You know, it's easy to uh, be able to budget and uh, to go to the movies on Friday night, for goodness sake, if the money's coming in steadily every every week and you right. know that it's there and it's predictable and you can do all those things. You can do, you can have some, some, uh, I don't know, cur not courage, confidence. you can just have some confidence yeah. in, in what's coming next. But, but if you, if you're out there and all of a sudden you see a downturn, uh, there's a lot of things that can happen within a business that make those kinds of things that a, a new competitor can move next door. Yep. You know, there can be a lot of things COVID that can, can affect can yeah. affect a lot of stuff. Yeah, and you have to be able to be able to weather that that period of time with capital, and that means that you've got enough of it there that you can spend it whenever you don't have a whole lot of it coming in to to stay alive because. 
you know, if you get out there and you get 120 days behind on your bills, or God forbid you 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 have a hard time making your 941 tax payment on your payroll, <laughs> which if that ever happens, the best thing you can do is just go check it in because it's oh it's too it's over. You it's don't over. know it yet, but it's over. Yep. And so you don't borrow money from the government, you know, period. Uh, and if you ever get to the point to where you are tempted to cash a check and, or write a check instead of writing one to the revenuers for what you want in payroll taxes, you've just made a serious and fatal error. Now there's a major detailed takeaway. Yeah, it's absolutely. over. Don't borrow money from the government. It's over. Right. Yeah. You know, so, and there's no reason to pussyfoot around about it, excuse the term, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Um, well, let know, me ask you this, how... Uh, there, I'm presuming from your conversation, there were points in there where you discovered, oops, we're undercapitalized. Oh, yeah. And how did you determine, uh, well, what happened to you when that happened? Kind of how did you get out of it, if you can think of a particular instance? And then how do you determine uh, what adequate capitalization is? Because some of the listeners here, we got every kind, but some of them are going to be somebody with two pickup trucks, two employees, and themselves, and they're going to capitalize. You know, I get, how, what, how am I supposed to do that? Right. So how much, what do well, you do, and how are they supposed to do that? Mark, I really don't know that I've got an exact ratio in mind or anything here. Uh, I think, though, that, that how I would approach it if I were looking at it from strictly a startup is that I would go through, I would really do a strong, a heavy and, and, and one-sided weighted against me analysis. Mm-hmm. Waited against me. Not not everything hunky dory and the economy roaring and all that. No, I'm talking about whenever you're looking at worst case scenario type situations, right. and you you figure it up. Listen, for people out there that don't realize that you've got to pay your light bill, you know the cost of software, the cost of hardware, all of those kinds of things that are that are absolutely necessary to run a business. It costs money to overhead that stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and and you have to be able to make sure that your overhead, that you can pay your overhead, I would I would think at least for a year and, oh. and have that yeah. cash set aside as part of your capitalization. So if you're driving around in these two pickups and you're listening to money, one way to get that, matter of fact, the preferred way to get it is save it. Save it. Absolutely. Or spend it. Don't buy stupid stuff. You don't need a platinum F-150. Don't jump in too soon. Don't make your commitment don't get yourself in a commitment that that you've got in there too soon before the money starts to come around yeah you know uh hold your horses and make sure that you're that you've got your market mm-hmm. uh, you've got to sell something right yeah. i mean something that's what we do you, yep. if you don't right. if you're not selling something well then you're not in business all right i mean yep. right. i mean so you know you've got to make sure that you've got your uh you've got your cash coming around there uh to where uh, you can uh, predict it, yeah. Uh, at least, and then even after you predict it, and you see that's going and everything well, you've still got to be able to set that capital aside to make sure that when the downturn, if it comes, uh, that that you can pull that money out without having to answer questions to your vendors or heaven for heaven's sakes walk up to your employees and say, "Look, man, I'm not going to be able to make payroll this week." Right. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, that's one of those things where you just do not want to be. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back to your story a little bit and kind of follow the timeline. So you have, you know, 
finished up with college a little bit, 10 hours short, but you're working with uh, your family still. You guys have started to do these, um, the trees now. You've opened up the garden center uh, in 82. Uh, you just leave the oil field because of the oil bust, right? Right. Do you go back and work with dad? Right. Okay. Yeah. And what... Uh, what was your thinking going into working with dad? Were you excited about it? Were you kind of like, oh gosh, I don't want to do this, but I have to, is the only option? No, no. <laughs> I, I knew whenever I was five years old that you were going to be working that I was going to be, uh, I was going to be a farm guy. Yeah. Uh, there was never any, no, not even a second thought about any of that. And, and, and I really do believe that it was probably expected of me as well. Yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I knew it was where I was going to end up. You know, we were just trying to uh, do what we could do to, like I say, you know, to, to uh, get through that period of time. Because let me tell you, during the mid, during the early, from, from January the, or the, July the 5th, 1982, which was the day that Penn Square Bank folded. <laughs> so that's the day you must have burned in your memory. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you talk about a downturn. There was no more turn, period. And uh, we were we were sitting there on top of a whole bunch of inventory, um, and uh, on a workforce that was that was young, and and hungry to move forward, and uh, and whenever that hit, you know, uh, there's no cash flow, mm -hmm. and let me tell you, I mean, it's over whenever that whenever you hit that kind of a skid. Yeah, so you went and worked with Dad. What uh, what role did you take on when you start working with him? The uh, the guy that gets kicked around and cussed at all the time. <laughs> <laughs> now he does the kicking. Uh, no, no. Uh, but I did. I mean, I, I was uh, you know I was my dad's son. Yeah. I mean, and uh, is I that did, hard working for Dad? No. 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 Oh, we had our. It, it, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the, the best father-son relationship thing that a person can be involved with. I'll, I can say that. I sure. think my dad would agree with that. Yeah. Um, it does put it does put strains in some kinds of, in the in the wrong places sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, even differences of opinion about business itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, my well, dad. Now was he complete owner, or did you have? He was complete owner at that time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, him and my mother, and. Uh, not that that was the way I ever even looked at it. I mean, I, no, looked, I, I know, but yeah. just for clarity. For yeah. Sure. Listeners. But I mean, I, uh, as far as I was concerned, I owned it. Uh, now, would I have any voting shares in it? No. no. <laughs> uh, but I no, that's it a like great, that. that's an important thing, that attitude we're looking for in employees, whether family or not, is somebody yeah. who treats it like, hey, I own that. Yeah. And well, I'm, I knew if, I think only the worst thing, the only thing worse than seeing myself fail would be to see my dad fail. Mm. You know, I, I and I, I looked at it like that, and uh, I wasn't going to let that happen. I, I was going to do whatever I had to do to make sure that that didn't happen. So and, I'm assuming you guys go from these hanging baskets to the trees and the garden center. You guys are opening new territory. You guys are get a lot of new products or plants. Um, what? How did the garden center do? How, was it successful? How did it go through the eighties? It struggled. I yeah, mean, you know, I mean, we, my dad had the guts to go in there in, in 80, 80, 82 when we moved there, at the height of the, all that. And I mean, 
it struggled for yeah. for a while, and just like any other business, you guys. I mean, it, you know, all of a sudden there's well, I, I hear there's this nursery down there. Well, mm-hmm. okay, well maybe we'll go, maybe we won't. Well, you mentioned you know, it's about yeah. seven miles. Well, it's a, from here, it's about seven miles probably. Yeah, down there. Um, but you're not. People aren't just driving by and noticing no, it. It's not out, at that. It's out of the way, especially at that time. It's a destination now, but at that time it was out it, of the way. Yeah, it was like, where's that place? Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah it struggled uh, and it just takes a while to where uh, you you uh, get those people coming and I'll tell you why it, it why it made it was because my parents were of the of the mind that uh, that they were honest they're honest yeah I mean that's the whole thing I mean they were honest and people saw that right and they knew that uh, they were getting a a fair deal uh, there was never any question about that and uh, you know and, and it takes a long time sometimes for that kind of word to spread that and especially yeah. whenever you've got a business opened up out there and you're calling it a nursery but there's not a whole lot in it mm. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah yeah uh, and so it uh, it just takes time so how long was your dad in the business at what point did he step out is he still in it today no, no, he's not in it today. He Dad retired as far as being the president of the company. Uh, I, I Even, believe it or not, I forget. It's somewhere in the five-year period, maybe four or five years ago that he did. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then I moved into that role um, after that, even though there were a lot of things that I was doing within the business before then. That you, you know, were basically the president. Well, no, I, I was. I was the. Uh, I was the background uh, facilitator in mm. lots of ways, you might say. Well, one thing too, people hearing about a nursery and retail operation and planning, but you were this contractor show. You were doing contract jobs. Right. Oh yeah, pretty pretty good size, significant stuff. Exactly, and and I'm a contractor, uh, the landscape contractor side of me. That's my, that's my blood. I mean, that's where. Uh, yeah. I uh, that's what I did for our company for the first thirty five years that I was there. It was my main thing. How did, did you decide to do that, or was your is it something your your parents assigned to you, or you you saw the opportunity? Saw the opportunity. Uh, got lucky. Um, what was your first job? Well, the first there were. The first big job that we ever took on was uh, the uh, Centennial Plaza in downtown Oklahoma City that runs along uh, Sheridan Avenue and, and so forth uh, down through there. It's been kind of redone. Some of the trees that we planted back there are this big around. You I've know? seen yeah, the and record I, show. It's I, about three feet. Yeah, I mean, I dig it. You know, I mean, to go down there and see those just really just, hey, I, yeah, I planted that tree. And it's neat. Uh, but we started off there. Uh, How did you get that job? Well, just uh, by, by, like I say, we got lucky. I happened to knew a guy by the name of uh, Jim Gilbertson, which was the general contractor down there at that time and everything. Just happened to have a set of plans, and I thought, well, I'll pick those up and look at them. And yeah. got to looking on there and and, uh, and bid it to them. Mm-hmm. And they were crazy enough to give me the job, you know. I mean, you know, they that they saw that we, you know, were interested in really doing it. And I got a break. I mean, I had a good man that, that said, "Hey, I'm going to give this guy a chance. He's going to do me a good job." Yeah. And uh, and then there was a, a landscape architect in the in the middle of all that named Joe Braun from Tulsa, which he and I became very close friends over time. Um, and Joe's yeah. not with us anymore. 
But at the time, Joe was one of those guys known as he'll he'll break you. He'll you know he he's a he's a blah blah you know he's a mm-hmm. really tough guy to work with and everything. And he was. Yeah. But I tell you what, though, I learned so much from him, and and uh, it's one of those things where you know instead of being angry at somebody, just stop and listen to what they're trying to tell you. Sometimes it goes a long ways. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Joe was one of those types of really highly demanding. Uh, I could tell you stories about him all day long, but but I mean, you know, highly demanding of, of quality and and sure enough, professionalism. Yeah. And I got very lucky to have uh, got to strap on there with Joe and go through a couple of projects together uh, early on in my career. Yeah. And, and I still think he's the best landscape architect that I that I've known in my life. There's some other guys here close to around town that I think very highly of here in Oklahoma City. Uh, and I don't want to name them. If, if they happen, were happen to hear this, though, they'd know I was talking about them. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're good guys. And uh, yeah. so getting out there and, and uh, you know, getting a little bit lucky every now and then goes a long ways. Yeah, but also knowing that you're, you're getting lucky and taking advantage of it and soaking all of it in sounds like, you know, you really capitalized on it and took advantage of it and didn't take it for granted. Well, listen, um, instead of getting mad, it's another, I mean, there's a lot of great takeaways. Here. Oh, yeah, That's absolutely. So, did, so I'm, I'm curious, did you start a separate business for this contracting side of doing bids, or did you run it all through Markham's? We ran it all through Markham's. It was, back then, it was just a, you know, it was family affair still. Yeah. And uh, is it still that way today, or is yeah, it? Yeah, pretty okay. much. My brother Kelly, I, I do want to say, Kelly was right there in the middle of all that with me. We yeah. were, we were uh, he was my brother. Kelly Markham has been elbow to elbow with me and, and anything that I've done, uh, we, we definitely both got our strong points and do things better. And so, and it's a good mix. Uh, but anything, any success that I've had, I've got to go, I, I'd, I'd have to butt my brother and say, thanks, bro. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That, that brings up another point. I'd be curious to know from your perspective, um, as you've gone through basically your entire life being inside of uh, you know, a family business. What are some of the tips that you have for some of these contractors out there that are still running a family business today themselves? Uh, what, what tips do you have for them? I, my, my, it would be uh, take on uh, the attitude that you own it. Mm. Uh, don't get frustrated because you feel like you, you let uh, personal things come in between you and your family and the business. Always take the business and set it out there and treat it like a business. It's not a part of the family. It's an entity on its own. It, it's gonna, you know, it, it doesn't, uh, it's got its own number as a matter of fact, yeah. you know, and, and treat it like that. And don't let uh, petty things, emotions, yeah. uh, that sometimes you run into in family situations uh, start to make you think stupid things. Yeah. And think, well, you know, it's not fair. Oh, uh, you know, we can come up with a million excuses, right? I mean, it's easy to come up with an excuse to get PO'd and walk off, you know. Right. And I did that a time or two, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, had to get away for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think my dad was just about ready to slap me away, too. You know? <laughs> so it, it goes both ways. Yeah. And, you know, now you're a parent and you're, you're, you have children working in the business. What tips do you have for parents now? I mean, maybe you're maybe you're still learning as well. But what what tips do you have for some of the parents out there who have kids working in their business with them? To uh, this is over, oversimplified for sure, but to raise good kids, mm. 
you know, I think that um, the honesty factor um, is uh, everything. I think that the the work ethic, if, you know, if a parent has an instilled in their children work ethics and stuff like that, well then some of the things that would fall them down the road is their own making, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, just saying. The parents' own making. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, they're... You can't, uh, you can't go out there and hope your way to anything. You yeah. know, you're you're going to have to have instilled in people uh, a work ethic where they're going to do the right thing. Yeah. And, and if that means you've got to circle back, yeah. If that means you've got to circle back and have this conversation mm -hmm. with them, a, a frank, stern, hey, this is a business deal conversation, in order to get those kinds of things cleared up. Yeah. Uh, the better off you are, and, and uh, you, but I mean to look at this thing other than the fact it's not charity. Yeah, uh, it's not UNICEF, man. I mean we're not in this <laughs> thing to this. Is, this isn't about fun and and get and and all that. This is a, this is business, and and it has to be uh, strictly held. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I've seen businesses do this where all of a sudden they've got their capital right. Their their, their capital. Their lifeblood. That they've got their lifeblood, and and they go out there and they spend it on some kind of a brand new car for a twenty year old kid. Yeah, it's stupid, it, and it, it's irresponsible, and it, it sets you up for failure. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, I've seen that happen on and on, and and you can't be. Uh, emotional in this thing and you can't bribe your children to want to do the right thing with a new car or a fancy yep. ring or whatever it is you know you have those things better be in place uh, before the ball starts rolling downhill mm -hmm. or you're going to run into some bumpy road and, it, and it's not going to be very long yeah yeah so let's go back to that you know you, you got that job at the centennial plaza um, how did you grow from there what was you know you got to work some great architects did they hand you more jobs is that kind of how it worked? Yep. We, we did a good job. Uh, we learned a lot. We, we became, uh, honestly, I don't, I'll say it. I mean, I became an expert at what I did. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was. And uh, I, I knew the, the uh, supply chains. Mm -hmm. I knew what a quality project, what it took to put one in, mm -hmm. and what it looked like when you were finished. Um, I understood the uh, way to get the material there and in the right spot. Right. Uh, and 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 from there, uh, we just built off of that, and then it became uh, relatively easy to uh, get through one of those things. And and an architect, we work we work for landscape architects as a, as a landscape contractor. Right. And so he's your boss. Yeah. You know, you've got your general contractor and all those kinds of things that are involved, but but ultimately he is your boss. And to understand what it what it you've got to do in order to uh, to make him happy is uh, is a, is obviously uh, very important. And and I think from what I learned there in doing that was is that and now on my specs, my expectations of a, yeah. of a landscape project are uh, are far exceed what even Joe Braun uh, <laughs> demanded of me back in the day because uh, I know because my name's on it right yep. I mean and uh, you can't um, 
if you're going to put your name on it, well then, uh, whenever the, the final inspection comes out and they, they do what they call their walkthrough, and you contractors out there certainly know what a walkthrough is, uh, I was always very, very happy whenever my punch list, which they'll know what that is too, uh, is, uh, you know, two or three sentences on there and, you know, and they're, they're going on down the line and, and picking on the next guy, you know, so, uh, those are the things that you just, you just get done before that time comes. And, and, uh, it just, and then, and then from there, you know, you, uh, I've been real fortunate to have got to know a lot of different general contractor personnel. Mm -hmm. Uh, unfortunately, most of them have retired now honestly sure. i mean it which is kind of weird <laughs> uh but i've worked with a lot of really really good men yeah. and women uh that were involved in that that respected uh what we did yeah. and and uh, whenever and i always respected what they did i mean i i wanted to make sure that we were uh in tune with their scheduling I wanted to make sure that, you know, I've been in those meetings before with general contractors and there's sure. contractors sitting around and they're just getting their butt chewed out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I don't ever want to be there. I don't there want to be one of those. No. Let me, if I'm focusing just a little bit, were you profitable on the centennial job? Yeah, very. How, for people, practical information, how do you bid jobs? How do you, and you know you're profitable, you're starting out. And this is a real problem for a lot of contractors, how to bid. A lot of them, I think they bid to get the job. They don't bid to get profit because they don't really understand necessarily. Don't want to insult anybody, but I see it all the time. How did you, can you give us some insight into how you literally bid a job, how you do it so that you know that it's going to be profitable unless things just go totally. Well, of course, of course, today we've got our own set of logarithms believe it or not mark that we you know that we work with and stuff that are that we've generated through the years of knowledge that about allows us to go through a bid process a whole lot quicker than we used to but uh, that being said i think that the the best way to do that though is is to uh, take a look at it and really step back and say hey what's it going to take to get this job done meaning cost wise meaning cost wise yeah. how many man hours can i expect to be in this thing how many times am I going to have to fill my truck up going back and forth up here to the job site whenever there's not any necessarily any revenue being done or being made? Uh, how, how much time am I really going to have to uh, put into this in order to make sure that we reach our objective? And to really stop and, and to, to really add those numbers up and, and to go in there and to think about what it costs you to insure that truck. Think about what it's going to cost you to run a set of tires off of it. You know, how, how, do you have contingencies in there for the time that you get a flat tire on your trailer on the way to the job? Do you have contingency money in there for that? So that if something goes wrong, you've got it covered. You better have contingency money. Uh, and, and to really go through there, and then of course the product that you're selling, the, the cost of goods sold, you know, the thing that somebody's buying other than your labor, You've got to make sure that you've got to, that that you put basically a double markup on it, you know. You because why, why do why do you guys not do that? I think that because they get antsy, Martin. They get a little bit nervous about where they stand. They're looking down the road a ways at thinking, okay, what am I going to do with these guys? There you, uh, go. you know, what got to keep the guys busy. Yeah, what am I going to do with these guys? And and you know, and they're they're, they're all of their intentions and their reasoning for wanting to 
to get out there and get some work. Well, it, it's it's a valid and, and noble reason. But it's not to make it, money. But it might not be about making money. Yeah. yeah. There, excellent. Did you ever get a job where you were not the low bidder? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Well, and this is an important thing. Well, and mainly it has to do with the fact that uh, there's been lots of times. There's been a lot of times. I, I would say, though, that, that generally uh, the, the red flag one is the guy that's bid the job too cheap. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and they're sitting there and they're going, even the guys in the estimating office over there where you're getting your numbers, yeah. he's going, hey, this guy gave me a price, but, you know, really, I mean, I, you know, he can't get it done for that. And so they, they, start, they come back to you, and, and a lot of times in those situations, well, I was the number two guy, but I might be as many as much as 20% higher than him, which is, that's a lot of money when you're talking about a quarter million dollar contract. Right, right. Uh, but still, though, um, you know, they, they would uh, say, well, you know, this guy over here has been doing this. He understands what he's talking about. He's, he's briefed me on why, why his number's like it is uh, because he saw what that other guy didn't see that he's warning me about now. And he's saying, hey, did that guy pick that up? Well, no, no, he doesn't have it. His well, that makes our numbers apples and oranges, man. Right. So let's talk about this and let's get this working And you out. do generally have the opportunity to talk about it, or at least with good contracts. Well, whenever you, if you have the right relationship yeah. with them, um, and, and it's not one of those rig bid things. It's about just strictly, hey, you know, make sure my number match that you're getting the same thing from him that you're getting from me with my number. You know, and, and qualify your numbers. You know, never go into a bid by just going in there and slapping down a number because it opens up way too many things. You need to sit down and write down your scope. Boy, where did I get that? Yeah, write down your scope. Make sure that the, that the person you're bidding to understands your scope. And and that uh, that there's not not going to be any surprises somewhere down the line. Whenever and here's the scenario with that: you've looked at the plans, you've read the specs, you see this situation brewing out there, where somebody's going to have to take care of this particular part of the job. But you also know from looking at the specs and all that sort of thing that this thing's not necessarily a part of your scope. But you know it's going to have to get done before anybody's going to get finished with the right. job, right? Okay, so you, you go in there and you say, hey, you deal with it. Say, you, you pick it off and say, hey, what, what are we going to do about this, guys? You know, you want a finished job, but you don't even have these in, in the numbers in there. And make sure that, that uh, everyone understands what those things are and be prepared to provide a, a price for that. You know, now, I found that a lot of times it's better, it's better a lot of times to say, hey, dude, you know, look, I don't want that job. I don't. I don't want it added to fogging up my deal. I know what I got to do to get in here and get this done, and and somebody's going to have to do it. Now, whenever it comes time, are you going to look at me and say, "Hey, how come you hadn't done that yet?" Well, because you didn't hire me to do it, man. You know that's why I haven't done it yet. Right. Okay. It's all above board and communicating yeah. out in the open. Who's going to do it though? And and you don't want to be in a situation where if you just went in there and slapped the number down. Trust me, it happens where you get in there and they say, well, that's part of your contract. And if you don't like it, just get yourself in a situation sometimes crossways in a, in a big number on a commercial project sometime, and you'll find out the hard way. Just make sure that you have gotten your bid qualified and that everyone understands what's, what's, in it, what's, what's expected not. of you. Right. Yes, sir. 
I got a question. Um, did you make a conscious decision to focus on commercial? Are you also doing residential projects as well? We were doing both. Doing both? Yeah, we were doing both and, and doing a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I had uh, two distinct different sets of people and sets of tools and things like that. that For were, commercial versus residential. Yeah. And, uh, and we treated them differently. Right. You know, you can be a... Excuse me for saying this. You can be a hard ass on sure. a, on a construction site. Everybody's a hard ass, right? Right. Uh, but you don't get to be that kind of person when you're doing residential work. You 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 take on a whole different. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. And you're you're serving a whole different customer, mm -hmm. type of customer. Uh, so that's that's uh, something that that you can that I excelled in as well because I, I understood what the what I would want to be treated like if I were the guy doing it. Yeah. Uh, and but on the on the construction side, the more of that kind of an attitude you can bring to being a partner with your general contractor and all those kinds of things and all those all those goodwill things, that's that's really good. I'm not saying that you go out there and you you take on this, hey, I'm not gonna give an inch type thing. Sure. on a job site because that's that's a bad angle to take yeah it's a bad recipe it's a bad angle and so you have to be cooperative and you have to be able to in fact you even have to be able to give a little bit sometimes on something that you didn't expect to give yeah but look at what the payback's going to be for for going the extra mile out there it might have cost you an extra hundred or two yeah might even cost you an extra ten thousand but it could it could be well worth it if you if you use it to the right way and and not fight it so much because when you get into situations with sub with some contractors some uh it doesn't matter whether or not you fight it or not they're going to ram it down your throat and they're mm -hmm. going to make you pay mm -hmm. and uh, i just take but that's just the truth right uh, so on the residential side um are you, you guys are still doing residential today Residential projects. Oh yeah. Uh, in fact, residential is. We'll always do residential. And um, why do you like? Why do you like residential? Because the number one reason is if I, is because I believe that it does more to um, promote our garden center and our business name and our brand overall mm, yeah. than anything. I think that it, it puts you out there with the public. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of the, that's the main reason it's a business call sure but at the same time it's a business call but it's also so rewarding to uh, be walking through Walmart and uh, one of your old customers says hey Mont what you doing you know yeah I mean so there's a lot of really good things that come from that mm -hmm. uh, and I, but that's the reason why uh, we'll always be uh, residential first I, and I, I just used this example yesterday with one of my, I've had to replace my general manager at one of my stores. And, oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm training a new person, and, and they've been around me for a while, and they've, they, they kind of, they, they know what to expect from me. But still, though, I, I sat down there with them the other day, and, I, and I, one of my favorite uh, sayings is, you never know when you're going to bag an elephant. You know, I, and you just don't. You just don't. What, what does that mean? Well, it means that the the big the elephant's going to walk through the door one of these days, and and uh, you're going to bag him, 
and you're going to go, golly, it was my lucky day to have that customer walk in the door. That's bagging an elephant. Gotcha. Okay. You know, and you never know when you're going to bag one. And and I take that back to a situation one time where this little lady up in Moore mm-hmm. that lives in a part of town that if you know the address and everything and you've been an old local guy for a while, you're sitting there going, well, okay, this lady wants me to help her and she lives over there at this place and she's, and I can tell from the tone of her voice that she's frustrated and she just wants somebody to come help her. Yeah. You know? And uh, I thought, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go see this lady. I mean, I figured it was a $200 deal and it wasn't going to be worth my time to go. But I wasn't going to just leave her hanging because I could tell that she she needed somebody to come and talk to her. So I went. And her son just happened to be one of those guys that has spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars with me since I went out there and did that $250 job. <laughs> so you never know when you're going to bag an elephant. And that means that, that you take on some of those jobs and you cross your fingers and you do good things for people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not about money all the time. Uh, it's just feeling, you know, I felt better about that. I mean, and that lady uh, was, uh, was a good friend of mine for a long, she's gone now, but yeah. uh, she was a good friend of mine for a long, long time. And every time she saw me, she'd run up and give me a hug. Yeah. You feel good, right? Yeah, you weren't doing it for duplicitous reasons. It's who you are and what your values are. Just stay consistent and it happened to pay off. Yeah, you, you just have to, you have to be able, you can't be a taker, you guys. Yeah. I mean, if you think that being a, being a businessman is about taking, then you need to go do something different. And I mean, and quickly, because you're going to learn, you're going to learn fast that that's not how you survive in this deal. And and the thing about it is that you're exposed to a, to a seasoned contractor, a businessman. Uh, you're exposed immediately. Mm-hmm. He it doesn't take him a couple of days to make up his mind about you. He's got you. He's got you fingered before you even get the next sentence out of your mouth. Yeah. And, and, uh, so a taker comes across all wrong and, yeah. uh, and they get exposed real quick. So on the residential side, um, you know, what is that like? What does a average job bring in for example? Oh, I would say a, a nice little residential job on an average would be somewhere around $2,500. Okay. You know, we, and you, done. you guys are just selling, are you just selling the trees or are you selling plants as well? Uh, what does that look like? I'm just looking here at uh, at a like a what we call a foundation landscape job on a mm-hmm. on a two thousand square foot house. Mm-hmm. You know the things that you see a, a lot. Uh, I mean, putting some beds and a few yeah, main trees, yeah. a tree in the front yard, a yeah, well prepped bed to grow stuff in, uh, and and you know decorated out to not not to not to the nth degree but yeah but something that looks nice and that's going to grow together in, in the proper way to where whenever it matures in you know 15 years is that it looks like it was always supposed to look like that right know? uh so uh that's uh, that's a basic job so what uh how many crews are you running right now on the on seven seven is that all in residential or the split commercial well it's all it's it's uh Monty Glenn runs two guys, two crews, pretty much on the on the resident on the commercial side all the time. And then, of course, they whenever they're not busy, they flip back to like, Monty Glenn is your son. My son. He okay. runs the landscape department now. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
but we run two of those guys. We've got like three re- three uh, residential crews here, mm-hmm. uh, and then we've got uh, two sprinkler crews, one in Ardmore and one in Goldsby. Uh, we have a maintenance crew in Ardmore and a, two maintenance crews in Ardmore. We do a lot of maintenance work down there. Maintenance on what? Mowing. Mowing, mowing okay, gotcha. Uh, uh, maintenance contracting gotcha. uh, down there. Yeah, Rook, we jump from having a... Uh, Nursery in Colesby that your dad started. Mm-hmm. How many locations do you have now? Four. And how did you get them? Well, uh, I mean, I know about Oklahoma City. Yeah. You bought the land and started it. But. Well, I mean, it, it's uh, Martin. I tell you what, you know, it was that it wasn't by design necessarily. There were there were some things that that I started to see and feel that were pushing me in that direction a little bit, and mainly that had to do with with the the fact that we were starting to really accumulate uh, a really good group of employees that were capable of going outside you know getting off getting out there on their own mm-hmm. and, and, and I saw that unless we were willing to expand and to, and to grow our business more that I was afraid of losing some of these employees to, to uh, someone that was a little bit more aggressive than I was more competitive than I was and I, I started thinking about that I thought you know that doesn't Make a lot of. There, I don't think there is anybody out there more competitive than me. <laughs> you know, so I I wasn't going to let that happen, and so, and it's just funny. I mean, within ten days of each other, uh, both of these guys became very good friends of mine. One of them named Ken Huckabee up in uh, Norman. Uh, he owned K and K Nursery, and uh, and then another guy that I'd known for a period of thirty years plus. I mean, we weren't ne- ever really. We were more competitors than we were friends, but I respected him. I mean, I thought he was a good guy. I, you know, I wished for him and hoped the best for his company down there. His name was Tuck Wilkinson down in Ardenmore. And, and within a matter of 10 days, honestly, 10 days, both of those men walked in my office and said, hey, we, we're, we want to sell our business, uh, Monty, and, and we want to sell it to you. And so... You know that's what got it started i mean i knew that and it wasn't like i was out devouring up smaller companies and <laughs> you know grabbing all this you know being but a, you were ready and prepared but and I, able to do it but i knew that that under those types of terms and everything that i'd be able to strike a fair deal that i knew wouldn't put us in in some kind of a of a long-term cash flow issue i knew i could i knew i could recover it even if like i say you get back to worst case scenario mm-hmm. you know i knew that i could pull this thing through and not be so far in debt doing the deal right that that it, that it worried me i think we came up with a fair number in both situations for all parties and all that kind of thing in fact ken and i we wrote down our agreement seriously martin on one page of a yellow pad and signed it that day in my office and 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 that's the deal we made with each other not that that's what you want to do in business. Well, we'll yeah, we'll talk about that. But, but I mean, you don't know. I mean, but well, I mean. Well, one thing, one of my heroes, matter of fact, my hero CEO is a guy named Jack Stack um, from Missouri who wrote The Great Game of Business and has taken the outcome. And one of the things that's greatest about him was, well, it's, it's, it's a long story, but he was a very capable guy, uh, international harvester, if you remember them, or whoever they are now. But there was an engine rebuilding plant in Missouri, and he came over, and then International was going to shut it down, so we bought it. So he's a very sophisticated CEO mm-hmm. of a real company. I mean, these are all, but of a big company. But his attitude was, I could turn this thing, flip it, and walk out of here, Springfield, Missouri, with much money in my pocket. 
Well, I couldn't do that to these people who helped me build this company. So he stuck it out anyway, read those two books, and uh, he, that's, you'll see why he's my hero. But he did something just what you just said, and it was this. He said, I had all this talent coming up, an engineer, finance person, you know, this talent coming up, and there was no place to go. So what he did, and I think 35 times, was he created a company, put that person in head, head of it, capitalized them, owned a chunk of it, and became a customer, but not, not just because you're who you are. If you can't compete, I'm not buying from you. So he created the opportunity and kept all that talent in his sphere of influence, and that's what you just said. So now you're up there with one of my favorite CEOs. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's that abundant mindset. I'd rather than, well, damn, I can't pay that. And if you find an opportunity. You have to, or... or for the good ones. Yeah, and I mean, the, for folks out there that think that there's some kind of a, of a resting spot <laughs> in a business life, yeah, there is no finish line. Bill Gates no. said that. There's never a finish line. No, there's not. And there's no there's no resting spot. And here's the thing. Nobody cares whether or not you're tired or not. You know, you you better have a plan in place to make sure that you that you meet your obligations. Um, you you know, you obligate, you meet. Right. Uh, uh, otherwise someone has something on you. Right? I mean, they say, you know, I hired him to do that, but he didn't do it. Right. No, that's not acceptable. Uh, so, you know, just make sure that you get your obligations met and that, you know, and that you take them extremely seriously because that's your reputation. Uh, and if you ever blow that, uh, you're blown. That's your real capital. That's, that's it. I mean, you, you might be able to go to another state and start all up, but try that. You know, and some of the detailed stuff here, um, that we we haven't talked about, but have you guys always had good books? Have you always had good finance? No. Okay, what difference no. did it make when you did versus when you didn't? Well, I mean, Martin, you, you, he already knows the answer to this question. Wait, so but it's I not mean, a rhetorical yeah, I mean, question, it's a huge but, question. Yeah, I mean, um, no, we didn't have adequate books to start with. And, uh, and that- You mean, can pay your taxes. You had enough that you could pay last year's taxes. But you got your surprises. <laughs> you got, there's a surprise, there's a wrap package under every tree whenever you don't know your financials. And right. sometimes you open it up and it stinks and you don't want to open that package. Um, you know, no, you, uh, we, we're just like everyone else. i tell you what though, Martin, I was going to say this, is that one of the things that's one of the contractor's best friend and a businessman's best friend are the technologies and some of the softwares that we have these days to be able to track things, to be able to, to be able to quickly analyze information, and and to be able to put that into use and on a on a regular basis. And and I believe that there are times whenever you can have TMI. I think we all do. Yeah. And I have to I have to tell my inventory people all the time. Look, you're breaking me trying to get a hundred percent perfect on this. You can't do it. I will take 98. Right. But the other, the time you're spending trying to perfect the other 2%, we can go invest in a whole new business. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be able to understand that there's, there's perfection is not necessarily the answer to that either. But at the same time, you have to uh, know where you are and you have to have good records and, and it will help you to manage your business. It'll help you to stay out of trouble. 
with the with the law. And I, I mean, whenever I say the law, I'm talking about the revenuers. I, that's what I call them. I, they're not my on my charts, uh, and and they're your partner, whether or not, and they're going to get their share right. first. So if you don't think that you're a partner and and everything, well then you're you're just wrong. The good thing about it is though, you get to treat your partner like a dirty rag doll if you want yeah. to. You don't have to be but, nice. No, you just have to pay. Just as long as you stay within the the law, <laughs> right? Right. And and that that's important. Uh, I mean, because you don't want to get a, a, a bridge for that. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, that's the main thing. About well, I mean, you've been talking about necessity for having capital, and then you talked about taking a hard look at your costs so you can get jobs so they, they can be profitable and then hopefully turn into cash. It's really hard to do all that if you don't have good books. I mean, you have to have some source of information other than your bank app that tells you how much cash you have in the bank today and your mental estimate of who owes you how much money. And that's that's just not enough. No. No, no. It's not it's not even close to enough. Now Martin, we both know that when you're out there and I, I'm gonna use this term and I don't mean it derogatively at all, but I mean when you're small timing it. You know, when you're small timing something, you can make it up. You know, it may it may hurt you and all that sort of thing, but whenever you're just kind of easing along and you're doing this and that and the other, and you can legitimately keep track of it in your mind, uh, then you're going to soon learn that that time will come to pass very quickly because the next thing you know, you can't process all that information. You can't carry it around in your head. You can't uh, predict anything from what you've got because you don't have anything to stand on. So moving out of that small time operational mode into a sure enough a business mode. I am. I'm glad you said that. I want to add a, something I say about small time too. If you're cheating on your taxes, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're out there writing off everything, you know, your boat and all this, oh yeah, you're getting away with it, you know. You're not paying yourself salary, taking all those draws, and you're doing job, cash jobs on the side, and you think you're fooling the world. Well, you are fooling somebody, but the one you're fooling most is you. When you're really playing the game, and you know what margins are, and you've got to make money, and you pay your damn taxes, I, I don't even know, I, I think I could explain why that is, but I won't even try to. I've just seen it enough times that when you're really in business, you don't do those things. Mm -hmm. No. And when you're small time in it, I love that. I'm going to use that. When you're small time in it, you're going to stay that way forever. Yes. You're going to stay. And other people, like you mentioned, the general contractors, they'll spot you in a minute. Yes. Well, so will everybody else. Yes. So will everybody else. And that's, you're categorizing yourself. So you make that decision. You know, I'm going to keep books. I'm going to pay taxes. I'm not going to cheat. And, oh, i got to charge more to pay for all that. Well, then I'm going to charge more. Right. And, and you find out, hey, they did take my job. Right. Right. So anyway, thanks for that. That's a huge point. Well, I just go on with that point just a little bit too, Martin, in regards to books and everything and say, let's just say that things are going well for you and, and you do get that lucky break and you get that contract that gives you an opportunity to get over the hump and everything. And all of a sudden you look up and you go, okay, I need, what do I need in order to make this happen? Well, the word is capital, right? right. Okay. So where do you go? Okay, you gonna, where do you go? <laughs> yeah. You're going to go to, you, okay, well, well, most people think, well, I'm going to go to the bank. Okay, well, try going to a bank and getting a loan without accurate financials. Right. 
or with accurate financials that show you didn't make any money exactly. because you wrote your boat off. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, a banker, you know, I've always said, I'm a, I'm a landscape man, and I've always said, hey, the, uh, a landscaper with a bass boat's a bad credit risk, right? right? I mean, he's... He's yeah. out there. He's out there on his bass boat instead of in Same the right time. spot working. Right. He's a bad credit risk. Well, I can assure you this much: a banker's going to look at that kind of thing too. Right. He wants to be repaid, right. and he doesn't want a bunch of BS trying to get his money collected. And if you can prove to him that you know how to run a business and that you do have numbers and that you can project fairly out into the future with a performer that that's a doable and acceptable set of records, then you've got a chance with the banker. Did we define pro forma earlier? A pro forma really is just a budget, guys. It, it means for the form, literally, so it means in Latin. But it's just that, hey, I'm going to go forward. Uh, so you're making a budget. And a budget doesn't just mean budgeting your expenses, which a lot of people do. It's budget my sales, budget my cost of sales materials, like Monty said, minus that, how am I doing? So it's a pro forma, meaning it's replicating your past stuff, looking forward with the changes that you think, so. Yeah. It's a crystal ball that you're looking into. Yeah. And I think, well, I know, it's not common that people do pro forma. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's another one of those things to be in real business. If you think you don't know how to do it, <coughs> you can with a little bit of thought. Might not be very good to start out with, but Excel or even a napkin or the yellow legal pad. Yes. But some kind of an idea of how can this work? Because the other thing you said that uh, about I need the, the work to keep the guys busy. You know, if I get this job, I can find a way to keep some of it. I need to keep the cash flowing and they're going to give me a deposit are not reasons to get a job. They are not. And if you have some books and you've done some pro forma and you have some understanding of margins and breaking and what it takes to be in business, you can say, I can't take it for that. It will not work. It not might work or I hope it works or that I keep the money, I'll find a way to keep the money. It won't work, I'm not doing that. Exactly. That's where, that's one of the things about books and experience. And just like you said, Martin, I mean, the, the thing of it is you're, you're kidding yourself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're number yeah. one and you're the one gonna suffer the consequences. Right. Worse. So. Yes, sir. So what are you focused on today? What's going on with, with Markham's Nursery today? Do you Perfect. mind telling the listeners about what your sales are so they know what kind of- Well, we're, we're this has been a tremendous year you know we're north of we're north of 13 mil mm -hmm. um you know we'll be um it's it's been a good year i mean i think that it's i think that uh looking forward to 2021 too i think it's going to be very similar um we've uh we've leveled out some things and gotten and kind of figured out where we where we've landed since these acquisitions and everything we've got a pretty good idea about where that's going to take us down the road um and uh so you know what we're focusing on now is honestly is really just going through there and perfecting those two new acquisitions mm. uh, when were those by the way well that was the, the store that we bought over here in norman and the one down in ardmore uh that we that we right we closed in 17. in 2017 yeah, so see, it's it's twenty twenty. Yeah, that's three years. Right. So I mean, that's another thing people do. They get in a little bit too big of a hurry sometimes, and with the expectations, it set them back. Yeah. Uh, and and it has me. I mean, I, I'm not. I haven't got all this figured out. I mean, yeah. there's. I still get plenty of surprises. Uh, so 
But I mean, I think right now is that, uh, you know, um, to do a better job of, of, uh, of customer service. I know it's really cliche. Right. Uh, it sounds really cliche, but it, it's so true. I mean, um, you and, and really perfecting on those things and then preparing uh, for that next time whenever the this talent starts to bunch up mm-hmm. you know another one. yeah you know the, the talent starts to bunch up and you know and you you've worked with these people for a while you value you love them heck they're part of your family now yeah i mean so there's a point in time whenever you you've got to uh you've got to be ready to move out there again and and uh so for it's, me it's being, wonderful we got to be prepared to move out there again why because i got to take care of my talent yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, uh, and and uh, and you know what they're going to be if you don't Gone. your competitor. <laughs> yeah, yep. Right. I mean, uh, I you know, and that that uh, people say, well, doesn't it bother you that you've trained all these people to do all this work and they, and now they go out there on their own? No, it doesn't, because generally they come whenever they need something having to do with the with the green business. They're coming in there and they're buying it from me. They're at least giving me a chance, you know, and you can't do it all. So, you know, the, just to be able to spread out those kinds of, of human assets, if you want to call them that. I mean, that sounds really, that's really not the way to put that, but they are. Um, you know, assets out there that, that and, and all that really is is just goodwill and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just the, the, the knowledge that, uh, that they're going to get what they pay for, um, and uh, so those kinds of things are, you know, real important to to uh, continuing to build a business, even with people that that leave you, mm-hmm. you know. But the ones that are, you know, they're not everybody wants to go out and do it on their own like that. And and unfortunately, I, I would have to say that most of them fail. I, I mean, but I think that's within the statistics, though, right, Mark? Well, I mean, oh yeah, uh, used to be. Interestingly, 80% of businesses failed in the first five years and 80% of the survivors failed in the next. That's actually SBA. It's a little bit better than that. Not as many fail, which I attribute to the internet, the ability. But, you know, you can get access to markets without knowing a lot of things. But that's a a great point. And that is because because we haven't talked about how to grow a tree. We have not talked today about how to plant a tree or put an irrigation pipe in the ground. We've talked about everything around it. We're just presuming you know how to do that, <laughs> right? So yeah. somebody that leaves you that knows how to plant a tree, put irrigation pipe in the ground, that's one fourth. That's pretty consistent with our thing, God get doing administrative business. That's one fourth of what they need to know. Now you've surely prepped them with a little bit more than that, but understanding the financials, understanding leadership, having a vision of where you want to go, marketing, yeah. Uh, keeping books, paying taxes, HR, IT, getting their website up, keeping it up, email doesn't work, franchise tax, oh, liability insurance, workers' comp. You got to bond that job? How do you bond a job? <laughs> you got to what? What do you need to bond that job? Well, I need the financials to start out with, yeah. and they need to have some good numbers on it. Yeah. Well, I bought the bass boat. Does that count? Anyway. <laughs> so, so I'm not surprised that most of them fail because doing whatever you're doing, is the smaller part of being in business. It's all the things you've been talking about today, very few of which we're doing. 
Well, I told you guys, this is the smartest guy I know. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No. That's well, great. yeah, there's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to do it, and you've certainly <clears> done it. Yeah. Some of the things, I don't know, we've been running a while here. Okay, you got yeah. another question? Yeah, uh, so when you with the family business, you had mentioned um, your son, Monty Lynn, is the landscaping department. Lynn, yeah. Who are the other children? What are they running? Crystal, she's my firstborn. Uh, she She's our sales manager. Okay. Uh, For she, what type of sales? Uh, overall. Overall company sales manager. So that's the retail, that's the bids? She's not bidding jobs. She's not, she, no, she doesn't okay. bid the work. Just the retail side. Well, yeah. I mean, also sales managers are also reaching out to contractors and gotcha. things like that. Anything having to do with promotion of the company through sales and everything is, is what she does as our sales manager. Great. 95% of it, though, granted, is in the, on the retail side. Right. Uh, um, and coordinating all of that, all of those sales promotions and different things and ad buys and so she's doing some marketing too. Yeah, all that you have to do in order to uh, tie four stores together. I mean, you know, you don't want to have Isaiah's on sale at Markham's Nursery and Goldsby and be out there promoting it and everything, and and then people go over to Norman to get them and they don't have any, right? I mean, so a there's lot, a lot yeah. of that kind of thing that goes on in in, in coordination with our with our greens purchasing people, our uh, you know our, our hard goods purchasing people have to be in that loop. The, the sales manager does that does those things that that uh, you know make sure that those promotions and everything are uh, going on I, I've always you know it's kind of like we talked about advocating a while ago and a sales manager manager advocates for the business 24 7 365 every second of the day that they advocate for the business yeah that's what a sales manager does um, and then Candace who's my who's my and crystal went to school at OU, she came out of there with an international business degree, uh, and, and hat was highly, you know, highly scored and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, she went to work in the oil patch for a while for for a couple of local large companies up here, and then got into the corporate world and found out that you know I don't think this is for me. Yeah. And so she came back and started raising a family. And remember, uh, do you have a New grandson. Yeah, a new grandson. Yesterday. Yesterday. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah. Number eight. Yeah. Number eight. Sorry wow. Interrupted. Yeah. You, and so she she does all of uh, the uh, that, and then Candace, uh, my my next daughter. She she was a went to school at OU and came out of there with a nutritional science degree, and then went to work for the Comanche County Hospital down in Lawton and running their kitchen and their overall nutritional programs down there when she was 26 years old. Wow. Uh, and once again, she wanted to start a family and the corporate life wasn't for her either. And, <laughs> I mean, they were raising a family of two entrepreneurs. You know, yeah. my, my kids were. I mean, my wife ran a business. I ran a business. What did you, was your wife in, in the nursery as well? At that time, she was in the daycare business, running a daycare. Oh. Uh, and so they grew up there. And then so... She came back, and then Candace has been. Uh, she's in charge of our service department. She's service manager right now, and yeah. we have a new guy in training. What's in service? I'm just curious. Well, service means that you know someone comes down to the to the store and buys a tree. They they're going to get it planted, or our landscapers need some help getting getting something dealt with on the service end of getting the landscape job completed. Mm. But once I call it off premise. Once we have any obligation off premise, it becomes service. It becomes service. Great definition. And so we we just but once we become obligated off off premise, it's it it goes to the service manager first. That's where the filter is. 
And so she goes through all that and takes care of all of all of those things and makes sure that our customers are communicated with and that they're happy and that they're followed up with after the service is performed to make sure that we met the mark. I mean, that's important. Yeah. Uh, and she does that. And we have a guy in, in training right now that uh, is doing extremely well. Then I accidentally just, I mean, made a post on LinkedIn and the guy te- he messaged me and he says, hey, I'd be interested in talking to you. And, here he is now. He's gonna he's gonna be able to take over our service manager department, and then that's gonna allow Candace, who's a brilliant mind, uh, to help get her out there more on the promotional side of the business and, and helping Crystal and kind of be uh, more, more marketing, of a, more of a of a face of the company. Because let's face it, my face is getting old. Yeah, and it's they're, gonna, they're uh, attractive, and I don't mean that in a sexist way. <laughs> they are well spoken. They are attractive, but they're not shy or anything. I no, mean, they're good. You just walk in immediately, you know. They'll, she'll do a great job in being involved in that. And, of course, Monty Glenn, uh, my son, he, um, um, we had, a, a, I don't know, it was near a $2 million contract in Texas down there on the on the Air Force Base at Shepard. It was a lot of money. And uh, while Monty Glenn was going to school at OSU, he's an OSU guy uh, with a landscape architecture degree, he was running that job for me. He was like 23. Wow. While he's going to school. Yeah. Well, you know, so, and, uh, so he's got a lot of experience in that and, and he's, uh, and, and that particular job was a job that, uh, we all learned a lot from. I made a ton of money off of it, but if I hadn't have done everything just right, I would have lost my, I'd have lost my business over it. Wow. And that, those are just things right there that have to do with, with, who you're dealing with from a general contract standpoint. Give us some, if you don't mind, what, I'm curious, what, what was, what could have gone bad? Well, uh, what went bad was is that I, I signed a contract with a ruthless uh, set of people that were were sorry as hell, to be honest with gotcha. you. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, they were sorry as hell. Um, and we got involved in it and, uh, and, and got bent over because there were uh, greed involved with the general contractor, the architect, and the managing agent. And mm-hmm. we kind of got in the middle of all that sort of thing and, and uh, ended up uh, being, uh, what do they call it, whenever you uh, get on a project and you're, uh, you've got a bond. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, it's not classified, it's uh, some kind of some deficient <clears throat> they claim a deficiency on you well it doesn't matter whether or not there's a deficiency or not and in our case there certainly was not we had we had gone in there and overperformed right but we were in the middle of a situation where they were trying to rake money off of these these big guys playing games with each other up there in the millions of dollars on these government contracts and we got in the middle of that crossfire, and we were one of them that they could pick off for easy money. Mm. And and the deal was is that you know they class it they they what did I say deficiency deficiency yeah. they and then and then you get into so you haven't seen that very often no because <laughs> you don't remember no and then but I mean whenever you get into a situation like that on a bonded job you're at the mercy of these people and that's what they want to do yeah that's they, where they want you yeah. And so uh, we worked our way through it. But he, just to give you an idea, I told that guy one day, I said, hey, man, I said, look, you're pushing, you're pushing me here on this thing. I said, what am I going to have to do? Go get an attorney? 
And he said, oh, that'd be just perfect. He said, I've got a third floor of attorneys waiting for you and uh, for suckers like you up in Fort Collins, Colorado. Just waiting for suckers like you. So, you know, this that's the real world out there, you guys. I mean, I hate to say that, well, there's but it's a, true. It wasn't you, but a contractor I knew out in Las Vegas talking about the cattle call deal. Where the general doesn't pay all these guys, and then he calls you to his office. You go in, and there are about six other subs sitting in there. Right. Walk into the office. He says, well, I owe you $450,000. Here's a check for two hundred. Right. Take it or sue me. Yep. And about half of them walk out with a check and their heads bent down. The others walk out, matter nail, but they will do it. Well, I mean, that Martin, it came down. Fortunately, in that contract, I came out with 99% of my billings. They they hung me on 1% before it was all said. How did done. you, well, we don't take the whole time, but how did you, if you couldn't sue them because of their attorneys, what did you do? Go over their head with the government, or no, how did you manage? I worked my I worked my ass off. What so I did. Did they you, so they ultimately paid you out of respect. They they paid me because they didn't have any way to make a case against me okay. anymore. And in fact, what I what they paid what they didn't pay me for was because uh, wasn't even on my scope. They just I said, well, you're you're enti- I'm entitled to a reason why you're not going to pay me my other twenty two thousand dollars. And they said, well, okay. So they sent me this deal where they had mo- removed their road signs, moved their trailers, and they, they sent me their bill for their de- uh, for their demobilization. I paid for that. But I felt like I got by yeah, got with it. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was so happy. But it was one of those deals where they sent me a check for $178,000, and they owed me 200 They owed me two hundred, and, uh, and it comes in the mail, and I called the guy up. I said, hey, I said, uh, this, this check's short 22, 22K. He said, well, I'll give you a choice. He said, you can either go cash that check and thank your lucky stars, or he said, you can go ahead and stick it in your drawer and we'll see you in court in six months. So that's that's where you get. And, 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 and the best deal with guys like that is to find out who they are and don't deal with them. Exactly. I mean, it's not always possible to know, otherwise it's, you wouldn't have done it. You, don't get out of your league. Don't get out of your league. Don't be one of those people that uh, can't, that's up there with people that don't care about you. Uh, there's people that play in that league. They're, they are. And, and they, they understand the game. Uh, and they can survive in it because, honestly, a lot of those guys give and take and scratch each other's back, right. back and forth. And it's and a political about taking Markham's. It's a political BS yeah. deal. Lots of times when you get up on that level, and uh, just, just don't, just don't get out of your league. You know, I tell my landscape guys a lot of times, and I, I and there may be a customer out there who has, but I say, look, if you're out there with that customer and 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 they're they're you don't feel comfortable talking to them. You know, they're not someone that you feel like you'd like to work for. Don't work for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't work for them. Yeah. And why, why do people work for them sometimes? Because they're, because they're afraid, Martin. They're afraid about just what we talked about a little while yeah, ago. Yeah. What am I going to do with these guys? Yeah. Am I, I'm afraid I'll lose this deal. Oh, my competitor down the road, I hate that sucker, and he's going to get this job. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different there's reasons. There's reasons to be in there. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. 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 If you don't, if you don't feel good about going out there and doing it, and and making sure that whenever you leave, that you're going to leave with a smile on your face, and they are, and you're not willing to commit to that, don't do it. Yeah. Period. 
you know, that's, that's might be your best, best contractor point. advice so far is don't get out of your league. And when you're new and starting out, you're probably scared at everything. Might not admit it, but I've never done that before. Go to a pre-bid meeting, all these guys know each other. Right. I don't know, you know, I don't know how to read the plans well enough, read all the comments or what, what do you call them, the notes. Best advice? <laughs> well, no, the, no, the, on all the architectural yeah. drawings where they're describe all the oh, stuff yeah. in there that, oh, and you will provide power to the, yeah. you know, well, that's $800,000. Well, I was, I was actually going to make a joke by, oh. by saying best advice, and my best advice is fake it. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. No, I got, I got that question before we're done here, but there's yeah. a guy who, uh, fake it till you make it. There's a guy, Brian Tracy, says the same thing, and I kind of like the way he says it. He says, act as if. Yeah. He said, Doesn't, you're not lying or anything, but you won't stick your chin out and go in there and act as if. And that's how, and it'll, it'll come to pass. Yeah, it's the same thing, as you make it. kind of reminds you of that scene in that movie whenever Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd are going to go in oh. there, that deal, and they're, they're going to go in there and, and rape the world on, at the stock market or something. Oh, and, you know, they're, they're, it's just fake it. I mean, you'll yeah. get it done, you yeah. know. Well, yeah. It's better than nod your head and go. Yeah. That's funny. Well, uh, Monty, we really appreciate you being here. There's so much that we can learn from your story and uh, appreciate you being willing to share so much and give your wisdom and insight and experience. And I know that there's somebody, you know, driving down the road and is going to be like, man, I, there's a lot that I can take away from that. I needed to hear that today. So we really appreciate you being on and um, we would love to have even some of your children on. To, We'd like to have you and uh, talk about transition and family. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's so much. I mean, a lot of contractors are in a family business. Um not you know they have other employees but they have their children there their spouse or parents and uh there's a lot they can learn from how you're doing things as well so you know i'd I'd like because ethan doesn't do ethan's minute anymore Mm -hmm. just some of the things that i wrote down listening to monty and among them he didn't i don't know if he used this word exactly but respect i mean that's that's respect for everybody yourself your employees your family your customers general contractors co-contractors Capital, meaning have cash, guys. And the number I heard was be able to run your business for a year. No, no bass boat till you got that kind of capital. Uh, focus. You talked about being in the oil field and then coming back to doing what you're doing. Focus is one of the decide what you do and then do that. There are always more good opportunities available to us than there is time and, and resources to take advantage. Not counting the bad ones. You have to focus. Uh, failure didn't kill you. That's one thing. Uh, you, you didn't say that, but I observed that. Failing didn't wipe you out. No. Okay? Uh, big thing. Recurring thing. Personal freaking responsibility. you blaming other people. You're just wasting your time. And this is your real life, not your practice life. Take that personal responsibility. We've been talking about performance and stuff. What we're really talking about is planning. Don't you're not just shooting from the hip. Uh, honesty uh, is is a big part of it. You, you didn't claim honesty, but I mean it's obvious that that's very important to you. Uh, learn instead of getting mad, which is a recurring theme to successful people. They listen. You know, yeah. Just listen, and, that, and don't presume that that GC or that landscape architecture is a as a Nazi crook. Not to get you. Right? Yeah, just no. listen. And then I can do that. So, uh, and then 
the last one that I wrote down, there was more than this, but last one I wrote down was uh, keep that talent. And when you get them, talent's gathered. I mean, this has been a recurring thing with a lot of my clients this year, is trying to get good people. And if, if you had the hiring method to find the good person and hire that person and they'll stay forever, then I want to know about it because I'm going to invest. In yeah. We're going to patent that. Yes, sir. It doesn't happen. They, they come, you can you can improve the odds, but you just don't know. But when you get a good one, keep them. And not just because they'll become your competitor, but because you're rewarding them as people. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on those. Those were recurring themes. And, and, and Martin, uh, if there's one, one last thing I could add, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add this on behalf of my brother, too, because it's really what it's, it's kind of his way. And it's to approach each situation with a servant's attitude. Mm. You know, uh, you you have to have a servant's attitude if you're going to be in business. And just don't ever forget that. Remember that if you don't have, you're, you're serving in some way, form, or fashion. Do it with a smile on your face. You know, say, hey, what can I do to, what can I do to help? You know, be that kind of a person. You're always going to be welcome at the table. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, so... I mean, I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, where can people find you? Your website? Uh, what's a good spot where they can connect with you if they wanted to? Markhamsnursery.com. M-A-R-C-U-M. Uh, M-A-R-C-U-M-S. Uh, Nursery.com is our website. Um, you know, we... Uh, and they can they can get to our company one way or another like that. I don't know if it's pertinent to give out an email address and stuff like that. But no, that's all right. I mean, yeah, but we it, put them in the show notes. Yeah, but I mean, they can get a hold of, of uh, us that way, and, and it pretty, you know, that's something we can work on that website. Yeah, that sucks right now. Okay, uh, it's, it's not it's not what we, we didn't do. even start talking about marketing or the other. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, very hey, thank good. Thank you for having me here. Well, yeah, thanks, Mark. Did you have fun? Oh, yeah. And, and I did too, man. Um, These are a blast. Yeah, and I tell you, folks, I mean, I know you guys, but I mean, just to say, I've known Martin for a long, long time, and, and I've we never... This part off. And, <laughs> and his way of no... It's it's straight up, and it's inarguable. You, you can't... If you follow that method that Martin lays in line for you, you're going to be successful. You can't help it. And uh, and not only that, but he's a good friend and uh, someone that I, I really am glad to call my friend. And, well, and he's, he's someone that uh, will help you out, I promise you. Well, good. I appreciate that. I, I second that as well. So thanks, Monty. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully chat with you again soon. You're welcome. Okay. Thank thanks you. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com. What's up, Cashflow Contractors? Khalil here. Thank you so much for getting to the end of this episode. It means the world to us that you're listening. Uh, I've got a favor to ask. So we are looking for contractors who would like to have a consult, a free consult with myself and with Martin um, for about 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, we'll basically just ask you questions about your business, about what it's like for you to work as a contractor, and then we will answer any of your questions specific to your business. Then we'll make that a live episode for other contractors to learn from, to engage with. Uh, and we think it's a great way for people to really see 
clear, uh, specific answers to problems that contractors have. So if that interests you at all, we're not going to share any of your information. Um, we, you don't even need to say your name on the episode, but I think we want to get some more of these episodes out there. And if you're willing to do that, we've got a link in the show notes that allows you to just submit a form for a consult, then we'll schedule it with you and record it, and we'll put you live on, on uh, the podcast. So if that interests you, please check it out in the show notes. If not, no worries. Or if you know someone else that you think would be interested in it, send it to them. That'd be great. But appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, we hope that you're finding less stress, more time, and more money. Thanks.